All right, we are back. It is Friday with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through all of the fluff to get you the questions answered you need answered. So today is going to be a fun one. And we were having some technical difficulties getting started here, but we figured it out. Believe it or not, I had to go onto Wi-Fi and off the hardwire, which that, that defies all logic. So we'll see what other logic we can defy on today's show. So I'm joined by James Watson, and we are going to be talking about virtual reality. Yes, virtual reality is going to be the topic of conversation, but we'll see where it goes. But before we get into that conversation, let's get everybody who's joining. We've got probably one of the biggest learning tech talks registrations of all time. So no pressure, James, no pressure, but we cannot let down the over a thousand people who have registered to listen to this conversation. So hey, with that, uh, let's get them involved, but also let's get you involved. So for those of you watching, comment and share where you are in the world today. James, where are you today? So I'm down near Brighton. Okay, you're gonna have to go, you're gonna have to go more specific than Brighton, the that's pretty specific. In, okay, sorry. Okay. In all right, the, you're in the UK right. in Brighton. Yeah, that's remember, we got a global audience here, James. Brighton, that'd be like me saying, I grew up in Renville. <laughs> I have no idea what he just said. All right. So I am in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I always am. And uh, let's see. So let's shift gears and move to our ice question. You've had a little bit of time to think about this. I'm actually really curious to hear the story behind this. And everybody who's, you can play along. I'm curious to see your answers to this as well. But James, what is the strangest gift you've ever received? <laughs> the strangest gift. Uh, the str I mean, it, it's quite an easy one for me because it's something that will never be repeated. But I was once given an alpaca. An alpaca. Okay, you have to, you can't, you can't just go alpaca. That's it. Thank you. No, I got, there's got to be some of the story behind this. So I Do you still word. have the alpaca? No, I thought it was a one-word answer. So um, no, so oh, I was, you, um, you can't get off that. I get to ask follow-up questions. This is my show. So, so um, to cut a very long story short, um, my parents lived down in Devon, and there was a farm near them that was struggling a little bit. It was an alpaca farm, and mm -hmm. looking to kind of get these things adopted. So they adopted two alpacas, uh, and one of them was gifted to me um he 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 is still um as far as i know doing very well he's no longer you know under my ownership um and yeah and so i you know didn't last very long it's a couple of years but yeah uh, i was a, an alpaca owner it was a birthday thing wow did you even have so when they gave did you have did, were you living on a farm or something like that where they were like oh, yeah. you've got a place to put this or were you just like i don't know put it in your backyard I, I, I figure that they just thought, well, he's in marketing. He's obviously going to be good with He's alpaca. in marketing. He yeah. must have a place for an he alpaca. Must, he must know how to look after an alpaca. But no, the alpaca stayed on the farm. And it was just kind of like a... Okay, so it was like you just you didn't have to bring it home. It was <laughs> just, hey, this is this is kind of yours, an honorary alpaca. For but, you know, you know we, we'd go down and visit him and feed him and stuff, you know. So, yeah, it was, um, you know... Part of the family, briefly. Oh my goodness! Okay, well that that was not what I was expecting. I have this is why I love not getting the answer before we go live because it's always fascinating. I have much better follow up questions when in alpaca. Okay, what was it? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I, I will just end up making the show about how James Watson got an alpaca. So I'm just going to stop right there, and we'll leave yeah. that as the strangest gift you've ever received. People can yeah. watch the live replay if they want to hear more about that. Um, <laughs> So uh, mine, and before we get into it, so mine is kind of, it, I had to think about this a little bit and I went back to, I was probably midway through college or university and it was my birthday and my parents, my parents, I opened this present and it's a giant floodlight and I'm looking at it going like, what, what, what were you thinking? Like, what do you think I'm doing that I need this? It was, it was like a 5,000 candle watt. You had to plug this thing into the wall. It was so powerful. And I remember just getting it and going, I have no idea why I use it would be a good idea. So not nearly as interesting or as exciting as the alpaca, but yes, an odd gift nonetheless. You could use it to spot the alpacas at night. <laughs> why were we not together? Why were 
I could have used tackle? that. I, imagine the things we could have done. We could have, ah, well, you know, hindsight's always 2020. So. One old thing. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so let's let's shift gears over to the topic of virtual reality. But as we get into it, your 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 marketing, you said that, which is why you got the alpaca, because they thought marketing, alpaca, clear yep. correlation between these yep. two. Exactly. But give, give me a little bit of background into this. How did you get, did you, were, as a young child, did you think to yourself as you were looking through your viewfinder, you know what I want to do? I want to do virtual reality, but I want to do marketing for VR. How did you even get there? I was trying to work out how to put alpacas in VR, but no, I mean, so I got there, it was, it was a particular incident. So I've been in sort of marketing previous to, to getting into VR and immersive tech for, you know, about 15 years, but okay. I came across a really interesting example of VR that kind of just got me really hooked into it, which was um, using PR, uh, VR for pain relief. Okay. Um, and this is something, it was a chap called Hunter Hoffman and David Patterson who, who did this. This is 20 years ago they did this. It's not when I saw it, but 20 years ago they were using VR to basically um, put on children having their burns dressed to relieve pain. And, okay. and I saw it and I thought, how can that work? And it works basically by overloading the brain. So the brain has to work out, do I focus on the pain or do I focus on this VR environment, which was a, a snowball game, uh, deliberately a cool environment when someone is yeah. having burns dressed. And I just remember thinking, and it had like, um, you know, it was as effective as opioids. And if combined with opioids could actually, you know, increase the overall pain relief. And I just remember thinking that's one of the most phenomenal uses of technology I've ever seen. You know, it was helping the pain of these kids. And I just thought, wow, if it can do that, what other things can this technology do? And it was from then on in, I was just like, I need to know more about it. And I was lucky enough to be um, working at uh, an experiential marketing agency at the time who was interested in, in VR and how that might play out from a sort of marketing perspective. And I, I moved in that way. Um, so it was really kind of that that one sort of example that just made me think, this is incredible technology. Where else can it go? Okay. Okay. Well, and I remember reading, and I, I mean, they've, they've done a lot of things in that, especially in the healthcare space. But I remember back, I think sometimes people think VR is this new, you know, came yeah. out in 2018 and it's not, it's been around for, for quite a while. Now, granted, it's come a long ways, Yeah. but I remember some of those early use cases being fascinating in terms of what does it do actually in your, I mean, yeah. it really truly is messing with you. So, so it was not a childhood dream is what you're saying. It wasn't a childhood dream, but subsequently I'm kind of just, it's, it's a real passion of mine. And so yeah. you know, if you find something you're passionate about, make a job out of it, then, you know, it was either, it was either going to be technology or sport and I'm not very good at sport. So <laughs> I'm with technology. <laughs> maybe you could i promise i won't keep coming maybe you could have you know taken over an alpaca farm maybe that could have been the start of everything. yeah i mean not very heavy on the technology but i could have you know installed that would have been those. neither sports nor tech but either way true. true maybe next time so but but i am curious because especially in marketing and i think this is one of the things why i was excited to talk to you about it is that VR is i think for a lot of people it's a bit of a confusing space we talked a little bit about the fact that People think it's this futuristic and it's it's for these very specific niche use cases. But even just in terms of defining it, when people talk to you and they say, hey, you know, what is virtual reality? How have you have you come up with a snappy way to articulate that to people that that so that because people define it a lot of different ways? Yeah. And, and it's quite funny, really, because, you know, People get hung up within the sort of, you know, immersive tech sector. People get hung up is, is 360 degree video on a headset. Is that VR? Well, no, some people say it's not VR because <laughs> VR is actually a completely, you know, synthetic environment that is created that you go into. And, and you know, and there can be lots of debates about it. And, and I get to a point where the outside world doesn't really care. Right, no. the outside world doesn't care if they put their head a headset on and they are in a 360 video and they're flying above Niagara Falls. They are going to be wowed, and it's incredible. And they'll go, "I've just tried VR; that's incredible." But actually, some people say, "No, no, that's not VR." So, <laughs> the apologetics yeah. of virtual reality, right? It's, I mean, you, yeah, it, it's a fair point. I think sometimes when you're too close to it, you yeah. start debating. Well, technically, virtual yeah. reality is 
only if it meets these kind of criteria. Yeah, people get passionate about it. And I just get yeah. to a point go, so what, because I'm always looking at, you know, the market, right? So what are they, do they care? Is it important that you differentiate? And the answer is no, it isn't important. And, and how I would describe VR is it's a, it's a completely virtual environment that is um, completely sealed off from the outside world. You know, so you put... Put one of these on, little Oculus Quest here. Put that on, and you are in a completely. Technically, that's the Quest Two, though, isn't that? Yeah, it's the Quest Two. Yeah, okay, I could go get my Quest. We could have a comp. See, we could start apologetics debating right now about which we one's what. Try, try and switch it over, but yeah. So you know, it, it's it's a completely virtual world, and within that world, you can be doing anything, right? I mean, people get confused: VR, AR, MR, XR. There's too many acronyms in here, really. VR is you are in a completely sealed off virtual environment, simple augmented reality. It's overlaying stuff on the real world that you can see the real world. It's really simple. Okay. All right. It's, it's so simple. There's a lot of complexity behind this, but I think, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I have seen. We really have to, I think sometimes this is where we can get wrapped up in our own side of it. Instead of thinking about, what what is it to the consumer? I similar kind of parallel. So I I fly. I've got a whole bunch of DJI. I say drones because that's what I call them. Because people go, oh yeah, those things that fly around that you know are are you know controlled somewhere else. Some people will flip out and freak out and go, that's not a drone. That is a quadcopter. You cannot call it a drone. And it's one of those things where it's like, but if we're talking to the general populace they don't know the difference in all these categories and it yeah. actually creates tremendous confusion yeah. for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is. And, you know, just think about, think about the bigger market and how people understand this thing. Think about how you tell your parents about it. You know, are you going to tell your parents it's a quadcopter or a drone or are you going to tell them it's, it's 360 video or it's VR, but they're different, you know. Okay. So let me, I will ask one follow-up question though. Because would you would you consider VR to truly be headset required, right? Totally immersive because there are there are some and I, and I know some of the guests on here, right? They would consider themselves in the VR space, but it's not it doesn't require a headset. You can go into a virtual environment, not necessarily headset. So where do you draw the line? Ooh, I mean, when you say a virtual environment, you mean what like? You know, a 3D environment on a laptop? Yes. So 3D, so... That's so, not VR. Definitely. It's easy. Okay. Not VR. Okay. Not VR. All right. All right. No, that's fair. Because I get... All right. Well, And somebody said, let's see, Nathan Nathan said, if James says it, then it is. So if, <laughs> if James says that it requires a headset to truly be VR, then, then we will say, we will, for the sake of definition on the show, we will say it is immersive with a headset. But if, but if you, want, you want to put a slight nuance on that, you know, you do have caves, right? Which is like an enclosed sort of uh, room with projectors that, you know, brings oh, that in. Now, now we're getting really technical. So, so, you know, is that virtual reality? Once again, the purists would say no. I think it gets a bit murky, but I would definitely say virtual reality to me is you have to have a real level of immersion that you wouldn't get looking at a, a flat screen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, and again, I think this is where this is where, especially as technology continues to evolve, the lines continue to get a little bit blurred. Like you said, the caves where it's like, well, technically you're not, you don't have a wearable on, but you yeah. have run into a truly immersive environment yeah. that is taking you outside. And I think that's a fair point when we say VR, we're saying it's truly taking you out of your reality yeah. into a separate one. And I think it will become more, it'll become simpler as there are more headsets in circulation. People will just go, oh yeah, VR, it's a headset. I think it will probably just sort itself out over time as, as uh, usage increases. Yeah. Well, and, and Matt brought up a good point. And I think this is something that will, will lead to a second question I have, which is that vernacular does, while we kind of chew this around and argue back and forth within our own spaces, that's now pouring into the consumer market. And the consumer is not as close to all of this stuff, which does create some additional confusion because then it's like, well, is this, it's, you see the same thing with AI. People are hearing AI thrown around and everything. And they're like, what what is AI? So with that, that actually kind of leads me to my second question, because you've been in the space for quite a bit when it comes to this VR. And 
I would say my experience and just kind of watching this industry and just this capability, there have been some starts and stops and kind of bumps along the way in terms of its its general acceptance, its general adoption. What what have you seen as VR has continued to evolve? What are some of those things that maybe have led it to not being quite as mainstream as it could be today? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you're right. There's been a lot of stops and starts. I think luckily at the moment we're in a start, um, but that's not to say it won't kind of, you know, ebb and flow a little bit. There's a really interesting um, thing called Amara's Law. Um, which is basically we um, massively overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and then really underestimate the effect of that in the longer term, right? So you get all this hype around a new technology comes out, think this is going to change the world. Actually, there's been too much hype. Uh, the technology isn't really up to doing what it says it's going to do. And suddenly everyone's really disappointed and thinks it's rubbish. But then over time, the technology does actually get implemented. It does improve and it has fundamental impact. So I think VR has kind of been in that space a bit. You, you see, you know, there's there's every every year there's an article, is VR dead? You know, and you're sort of like, well, hang on a sec. I wasn't sure it was fully alive, but and, and suddenly now it's dead. You know, and, um, you know, another problem is that people talk and, and they don't understand what they're saying at all. It's like, you know, what's the killer app for VR? And, and I hear that, I heard that a lot, less so now. And I'd be like, what do you mean by killer app? And they wouldn't really know. It's just like a soundbite, just like something you'd say. What's the killer app that's going to take it mainstream? But the big problem was everyone was looking at VR going uh, mainstream for the consumer market, right? It was all about when is everyone going to have a VR headset in their, in their home? You know, a bit like back in the day, everyone's going to have a 3D printer in their home. Guess what? Have you got a 3D printer in your home, Christopher? I don't. I've debated it a few times. But I'm like, all I'm going to end up doing is printing a bunch of junk. And I've got five kids, so I'm just going to have more trinkets to step on laying around exactly. the house. So no, I don't. I don't. So that was a calculated risk because I did think you 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 could have one, but I figured, you know, I'm hoping not. But yeah, so think about 3D printers, right? Everyone's kind of banging on about that back in the day. You know, Amazon, you're going to get your order from Amazon. And you're going to print it. You're going to print it in your home, you know? And so, so there was all that hype around around that, and and that you know ultimately didn't really get to where it, it, it expected to. Once again, back to Omara's law. So you know the the key point being is you know it was always thinking about when's it going to take off for the consumer market. When are people is going to be mass adoption, which is just unrealistic. Even still, you know when when this headset is is you know three hundred bucks or whatever, you, you're not going to have mass adoption. And so I think that was a big problem. But what's happened, I would say, in the last, actually probably only the last couple of years, is there's been a realization within the sector that the consumer market is a way off. You know, until Apple bring out some fabled, beautiful piece of kit that kind of looks like some glasses and you flip it into VR mode and then you flip it into AR mode, which is a long way off, although okay. depending on who you listen to, but it's quite a long way off. You know, I'm sure in the comments we'll get lots of feedback on that it's, one. Um, <laughs> There's something coming. I don't think it's going to change change the world. It'll look beautiful and cost a load of money, but I'm not sure it's going to change the world. But so you know, in in that space, it was it was a case of saying, well, you know, you have to wait for for the where is the proper market? Where is the real market now? And it's enterprise. It's all those you know those amazing you know training uh, examples, the medical examples you talk to. So the market kind of just went, oh, okay. Let's not wait for the killer app for consumer because that's not that's not in the next five years, realistically. But hey, look at all these huge enterprises who are screaming out for better training, better learning and development, better employee engagement. Oh, hang on a sec. That th there are some real core use cases there. So and if you look at a lot of the, the, the coverage in the past year. Most of the coverage now is about enterprise. They don't talk so much about consumer. There is talk about consumer because of this headset, which has really revolutionized the whole market. But it's really people have gone, okay, that's a little way off. Enterprise, that, that's where we should focus. Okay. Well, and and so let me, because I've, I've got a point of view on this, although I don't think I have the cred that you do on it. So I don't think what I say will immediately become fact. But, you know, I think to some regards, some of the futuristic nature type stuff we've put around it, I've actually seen makes people feel like, oh, this is way out there. This is this 
ubiquitous kind of distant. I don't really see a practical. It's actually almost kind of distanced it from practical type. Hey, this is this is the kind of stuff you can do with this stuff. It's oh, it's for video games, and you know you can maybe use it for if you really want to have a cool movie experience on Netflix. But it's not really practical. Which I think is unfortunate because even for myself, I've got a couple of these things, and you know, I've taken my kids on. I can't go anywhere with five kids. Literally, I can't go anywhere, but I can in VR. And so, in solving a real problem for me, it has allowed me to bring experience because we can go places together. And yes, it's kind of dorky. We're standing around and you know, and things, but we can see each other and we can explore. Environments and it's been a very practical. Now, granted, to your point, I think some of the latest hardware has democratized that and made it more practical. But I do think, in general, people still have kind of this. Uh, it's kind of weird and quirky. It's not everyday stuff, at least yeah. on the consumer side. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's fair. You know, I think you're right, absolutely. And, and you know, the majority of people, if you ask them in the street, they'll say, "Oh, yeah, it's well, that's for gamers, right?" That's what gaming. That's what most people attribute it to on the consumer side. Well, I don't really play video games. Well, you do a lot more with a VR headset. I mean, I've been doing VR drone flying for quadcopter flying for a while, (laughs) right? Stuff like that. But I mean, again, I think the possibilities it unlocks are huge. Now on the enterprise side, I'm curious your take, because I've got a pretty distinct point of view on this, but I'm curious your take, because even on the enterprise side, Aside from some of these very specific use cases, I do still see some like, eh, you know, I don't know. I'm not really sure that I can really see the value of this. So I'm curious what your experience has been, especially on the marketing side, even getting penetration into the enterprise. Yeah, I mean, I think the challenge we have, right, is, you know, when when you're as close to the technology as I am, you, you do have to pull yourself out sometimes and go, okay, but... But what does the market think? And and it's it's really dangerous to get you know really carried away with the technology for technology's sake. So and sometimes it's quite hard to keep that balance because you believe in the technology, you see the potential, so you just think it can kind of solve pretty much anything if you try hard enough. Um, and so it, it is a challenge. But what you're seeing in the enterprise sector is, and what's the challenge? The, the big challenge has been you know there's been a lack of data. It's quite simple, right? Because what's killed it a lot of the time, Christopher, is the fact that you know you'll you'll hear about this project rolled out by some big global organization, and the feedback will be, uh, yeah, the people who took part in the pilot felt they could do their job better, and 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 that's it, and that is just a killer because it's like, what do you? Well, of course they think they can do their job better because they just tried this incredibly cool tech. You know, there's someone who has a, you know, a run of the mill job that isn't that inspiring. They normally train looking at some PowerPoint or some, you know, and they've just tried this amazing piece of kit. Yeah, they're going to think they can do their job better. And that used to drive me mad, to be honest, because I felt that was actually doing technology a disservice. I'd rather not even sort of talk about people, you know, felt it's going to help them because there isn't the data. But the data is coming out now. Data coming. That. Yeah, it, it's 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 getting there now. And, you know, I've got some really interesting stats that I came across recently, um, and this will really drive the sector, particularly enterprise. But, you know, there's a brilliant example that um, I, I talked about recently, which is the U.S. Air Force uh, working with a company called Sketchbox. They've put their um, C-19 training, the big the big cargo planes with the, the nose that lifts up, yep. and they put some of their training into VR, and they basically shortened the time by 25% to get one of these cargo lo- loaders qualified. Yep. So you shorten the time by 25%. That apparently equates somewhere in the region to a saving of $100,000 per trainee. I mean, this is expensive training, right? Yes. And, and when you start getting into that and – that's, that, that represents 9% of the training course at the moment. They're planning to make it 40% VR, which is pretty phenomenal. Those things, and, and I don't, and I think that that training with the C-19 aircraft or what have you, I don't think it is that niche. Yeah, that piece no. of kit is niche. The, the piece of kit is niche, but it is a procedure. And that procedure could be a production line. It could be a warehouse. It could be anything. And I think... That, that has been my bugbear that all along is we don't have the data. The data is now coming out, and that 
is then going to drive drive the sector and all those conversations about well you know headsets are expensive well headsets are expensive yeah. but if you're going to sa save a hundred thousand dollars per training if you're going to save a hundred grand a person by sending them a nine hundred dollar headset that's a pretty that's a pretty good well and i think the point that you're bringing up is one that I think is critical for people in learning and development to think about because there's there's two factors to it. And one of it is I have I have been relentless about the fact that we need to get better at focusing on experience as part of what I say development. I think sometimes when people think training, they think, oh yeah, we we told people or we we communicated, we gave them the content. And when you're developing people, that's a very small percentage of the actual equation. The actual experience itself is the impactful piece, as you just highlighted in the example of, okay, we were able to get people to perform this task X percent faster because we got them in the experience portion quicker and more efficiently. And I think yeah. that to me is where VR is extremely powerful in the sense that you can package experience, which has historically been extremely difficult for us to do, extremely yeah. difficult, cost prohibitive, resource prohibitive, things like that to say, how do we give people experience? Well, we don't really have a good way to do it. So we'll, I don't know, try and assign a mentor in the field, or we'll maybe, you know, I don't know what, we'll just give them some tips and tricks and hope they can do that. And what VR is doing is saying, you can now create experience, you can give people experience, you can measure experience. But before you even get there, you actually have to fundamentally make the mindset shift to focus on experience. Because if you don't, then you're figuring out, well, how can we push content to people in VR? Well, that's mm -hmm. not the point. That is not the point. That's that's a gimmicky, you know, now we can get them to watch our e-learnings in their headsets. Like, yeah, what? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the classic. If you try and just replicate what you're doing now and jam it into a new technology, <laughs> you should really leave. <laughs> just sign off the show <laughs> but what you're saying about the experience right what, what in essence what you're saying and how i, I distill it down is kind of it's learned by doing it, yeah. is, is it, That's right? exactly it's, it. it's learned by doing and you know once again without sounding like you know the vr evangelist or going too nuts it's like you can put someone in any scenario in vr and it will feel very real Yes. Put someone in a major industrial oil spill and they have to complete three key uh, procedures. And if they can do those within 60 seconds, they will avert a major disaster. And you can put them in that environment and see how they uh, react. And that's different to putting them in the, the real world environment because you're not having flames or things blow up or anything around them. And so... <laughs> You not know, the environment you want to put people in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't want to traumatize people too much. But equally, if they're going to flake out when it happens in reality, you don't want that to be your safety guy on the ground. So there right. is, you know, that learn by doing, you know, is is one of the core um, the core benefits of using this technology, because you can create any scenario. You can create a once in whatever you want, a once in 40 year scenario. You know, a once in 40 year scenario that, you know, when it does happen, it, it can be cataclysmic. Well, how do you how do you how do you role play that? How do you do anything? Well, put them in VR. You can have multiple people in there. You can have trainers watching. You know, it, it's just very powerful when you look at it like that. Well, and I think the what you're getting at, and I think this is the thing where sometimes I, I often it's a little bit of a joke, but it's kind of not of a joke in that. I feel like sometimes we have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, right? We, we just kind of keep going back to what we know, the, the comforts that we have, even yeah. though it's we're in a dingy prison cell with moldy bread. It's like there is a reality outside of this that is vastly different if you can step outside of it. And to your point, there are no rules with virtual reality. So some of the things that we go, man, there'd just be no way we could coordinate this kind of event. Mm. Well, yes, you can. Yeah. Now, the thing that Carlos asked that I think um, is interesting, and I'd love your take on this as well, is I think sometimes it's easier for people to quantify or kind of compartmentalize. Okay, I can think about that for maybe a safety simulation or if yeah. you're on a manufacturing floor, things like that. But maybe I'm responsible for soft skills or you know leadership type training. And yeah. to me, my response to that is, and 
you can you can simulate that same type of thing when you actually take the time to break down what does that experience look like what is the situation that's happening that you need to recreate and recreate at scale and you need to truly immerse people in it so that they can get the same experience they would if they actually went through it yeah i mean and if you if you'd spoken to me a year ago or maybe a little bit longer, I was really skeptical of that kind of soft skills. Um, you know, if you think soft skills, hard skills, more procedural versus yep. the softer kind of diversity and inclusion, leadership, what what have you. I was really skeptical of that because the the challenge there is, you know, you can take data out of hard skills, right? You can say someone has to complete eight steps within a certain amount of time and there's a tolerance of they're allowed to get two wrong and, you know, yada, yada. Did they do it? Yes, no, yes, yes. Okay, fine. You put someone in a soft skills environment and, you know, it's a diversity and inclusion uh, piece and they're sat around a table and they have to react, you know, you look at how they react. That becomes much woollier, right? That's a little bit more, you can, you can measure, but it's a bit more subjective. However, to your point, it still has massive value, right? Because you can put someone, you know, it can be dealing with a difficult customer. The, the challenge there, there's Immersion actually, who I know you've spoken to before. Yep. Immersion do some interesting stuff on that soft skills stuff as well. Um, but I think it's it depends on the level of immersion in it, how good it is. If you're looking at this scary, uncanny valley avatar who kind of keeps looking a bit askew and kind of, you know, odd, you're not really going to feel that you're you're in you're present and there's someone you know who's who's you know unhappy with your level of service and you're trying to placate them that's not going to work as things improve as those avatars become um, more sophisticated which they are rapidly they are. as they look better as you bring in a little bit of to, to misuse another terminology a bit of ai in there and you know and they're able to react in, in different ways and you know it's yep. less of a decision tree thing it's it's something that has you know that really really does become of great value so that whole soft skills area is i mean if you think about you know the world we live in now and, and the need for those soft skills across all sorts of different areas there are probably more companies looking at soft skills uh, in vr than hard skills at yeah. the moment well and i think to your point it's a it's a maturity of the capabilities now i've done a fair amount of work with and again if we, if we want to get into the details of was it VR, was it not VR, we don't need to go there. But immersive experiences for soft skills, I found that there were really two components that made a difference in this, in making it successful. So to your point, I had explored this for soft skills early on, and it felt very robotic. You were interacting with you know this, this AI bot that didn't necessarily feel very realistic. And so it really ended up feeling like a a really over the top Q&A question answer type thing in an e-learning where yeah. you know this robot presented you with this weird archaic thing and then you clicked a button and then it responded robotically based. And it was like, you know, I probably could have done this in an e-learning. Now, where, where that's changed is I think this kind of hybrid blend of human in the loop and technology where you're actually there is a virtual layer, but you're still interacting with a human where you're taking them a little bit out of it. And it is a more dynamic. And I think to your point about the models themselves not feeling so bizarre that they truly feel, okay, it's close enough that I'm actually, and I think um, the CEO from, from Mersion, what does he call it? Suspended disbelief, I think is the term they use, where yeah. it's close enough that it's actually tricking you into thinking you are here. And I think that's been... A really important point is to make sure that that environment replicates the environment close enough, especially if you're dealing with soft skills, that it does feel like a human interaction. Mm. I think the other thing, and Mersion's on here, they're like, yes, that's why we use human in the loop. So, um, <laughs> but, but I think the other thing, and this is the part on the learning leaders and the learning teams that are doing this, when you're dealing with soft skills, you actually have to unpack the experience itself to be able to say, and this goes to your point about the quantification of it. Is it easier to quantify how did somebody do if they went through a procedure? Yes, because it's task driven, it's things like this. If it's an interaction with a human, you actually really have to decrypt what is a good experience look like for that human. Because when you do that, there actually are components you can say, well, if I'm, if I'm having a discussion with James, 
then these are the behaviors we want to be looking for in that interaction, kind of like an SOP. Did mm -hmm. Christopher do this? And this is what good looks like versus bad looks like. Did this? And if you actually get those behavioral metrics, I've done it. You can have some pretty powerful data coming out of here saying we were able to simulate this experience and quantifiably measure whether or not a person was able to perform certain things in yeah. the soft skills arena. And there's some, it's less, it's less soft skills, but it's kind of between soft skills and hard skills. There's some really interesting work going on in like executive leadership training, yep. whereby they're putting people into multi-user VR environments and giving them tasks. So you're kind of testing, it's, it's task-based, but it's also how they operate as teams. And they're also overlaying psychometric testing in there and building all that in. And that, that then becomes really interesting as well, because that's almost like it's kind of seeing how people react doing a task, but you're probably as, you're more interested in the reaction than the task. So it's yeah. almost like a combination of that soft and hard skills piece, which I think is only going to go on to become more and more important as, you know, distributed workforces, you know, cost implications, everything, you know, why wouldn't you do that? And also, you know, more engaging training. So it kind of wins on, on a number of fronts. It does. It does. And I think that's where, you know, when I, when I hear people say, well, VR is only for operations or safety training, I say, I, I would disagree. I would argue against that and say, no, I think you're limited in your thinking of experience and to your yeah. or practice or whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call it. You're thinking only about things that you can quantify in that sense. And I think there's yeah. ways to quantify this. But this actually gets me to the next point that I want to talk about is this data side of things. Yeah. Because this is accelerating ridiculously fast in terms of what we can even detect and what kind of data we can pull. I mean, ocular movements, stress levels now with haptics, like there is so much data that yeah. we're capturing. Yeah. I'm curious how you're seeing, you know, kind of that that rapidly evolve i'd love your take on how how that data piece is accelerating yeah i mean if you think there's all there's there's sort of core buckets of data right so within vr you can um yeah you, you can now with certain headsets and, and and other sensors you can add in there's you know full haptic body suits as well from people like tesla suit and what have you so you can get all those biometrics which is really important in 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 any environment soft skills or hard skills right you know how did someone react when you know, pump number three shut down and then four, five and six went, oh, wow, look at their heart rate, look at, you know, look at their, um, you know, um, where they're looking, are they looking in the right direction? So eye tracking, um, but also in soft skills, you know, as that angry avatar who maybe isn't perfectly, you know, lifelike, but start shouting in someone's face, still had an impact, right? They still, you know, so you've got those biometrics, you've also, you know, movement, every single Every single movement can be tracked in VR, which is amazing and scary. Uh, I think well, the thing about it is we actually can capture more data on things I th in this space than we can in real life, if you think about it, because it's like everything, every, everything has a data point, which to point is exciting and terrifying. Exciting and terrifying. Everything. So, you know, there's even – it takes you into this whole sort of like, wow, you've got all that data, right? So, so you can then start from, from VR. You can – I've read stuff about where you can you can work out by someone's walk in VR who that person is in real life. So someone could go and do something in VR and take some training, and then you could have some you know CCTV cameras around or whatever, and they go, oh yeah, that's so and so because we've got the walk from. So, but and that's getting into a sort of weird data cybersecurity. We'll go there if we have time. We're going to go there a little bit. I won't go too far down the rabbit hole. I promise. Yeah, because because that does. I mean, I think we shouldn't get too worried about how scary the data is yet until we understand the data and the data isn't necessarily being captured to that level yet and what have you. But yeah, so movement, uh, biometric, voice. You know, there's yep. voice in VR. You know, you're, you're talking to people in VR as well. You're not just in this sort of like mute world. You know, you can be talking and saying, okay, I'm going to go do this and, you know, talk to the avatar or talk to fellow trainees or fellow participants in there. So you've got voice as well. So the data piece of it is is incredible. It's it's And it's something I bang on about a lot because, you know, if you don't have the data, you, you really haven't got any way of proving the return mm -hmm. on investment, the value. You know, you go to your CFO and ask for more money. It's like, well, what's it done for the business? Right. It, it looks like just a more expensive version of what you're doing if you don't yeah. have it. And then you're going you're, you're gonna to soon find you lose your backing for that. 
So it's such an important part. The challenge as well is, you know, you can have too much data. You know, data is only as good as the decisions that are made coming out of that data, that sort of business analysis piece. Um, and so you have to be really careful. I think a lot of companies out there have data dashboards and they're like, yeah, all this data, data, data. And it's like, well, what does it mean? What does it mean to, what does it mean to um, you know, GE or, or Shell or DA? You know, what does it mean to these people? You know, you've got to have meaning to it. So it's going to evolve. You know, we're still at that relatively early stage. There's more companies looking to, to, to roll out VR, particularly in the training arena. As they roll it out, they're going to be asking more demands of their suppliers. Well, hang on. What about we'd like to know about this? Or, well, if you if you split the data like this, how about we get this result out of it? So the market will kind of drive it. But there is, you know, everything is measurable within it. So you, you can you can do everything and anything with that data in the right if you use it in the right way. Well, and I think, and there's a couple comments that came in that I'm going to bring up that that I think will spark some discussion with this. But I think what's important about this, and this is where this whole ethical moral dilemma comes into play, is there's a lot that you can capture. I mean, literally everything. You can get to know kind of the inner workings of people. Yeah. Honestly, in some ways, even better than they may realize, because they might not even quite know how they're responding, and you're going to have all this data on it. And I think that can be dangerous territory if you're just like, let's just capture it all. Let's just get it all and see what happens. And I think that goes back to the starting with the end in mind and saying, what are we trying to accomplish with this so that we know what data we need to tell that data story? And it's yeah. also going to help inform what do you need out of your partners who are designing these simulations? So as an example, I think of for soft skills, the advancements in natural language understanding is massive for what we do in learning and development in terms of being able to real-time analyze people's language and actually understand what people are saying. We can detect the tone, the sentiment, we can detect stress levels. All these kinds of things can help us start to develop people in a way where we say, we actually have data on how you perform in this, but you need to start with this first and say, what are you trying to get people to perform for so you can back into what capabilities and data do you need? And I think the, the comment I was going to bring up is, you know, movement pattern recognition is another one of those like natural language understanding where you say that's extremely powerful, but you need to know what do you need to do with that information first? And is it relevant? Is it pertinent? What we're trying to do so that we can back into a solution that's using that to help us tell that story. Yeah. And there's a huge onus on, you know, the organizations that own the data, right? You know, there's a huge um, moral uh, obligation to use it in the right way. Uh, and I think you're right. And I think I think it's an area that's going to get a lot more attention over the coming years, particularly in the VR sphere, because as people start to understand what can be captured, because people haven't really got there yet. No. You know, they haven't really got, but when they realize, like you said, everything, everything is captured, yep. you're going to get people go, oh, hang on. Hang on, you know, there's going to be there's, there's going to be like clauses in in contracts and all sorts now going, you know, which we'll have to address it. But we're not quite there yet, but we'll get there because guess what? That data is going to be mined to within an inch of its life because it's going to be hugely valuable. Yeah, well, and I think that's where there's an opportunity for us to get in front of that. Let's not wait until the regulations come into play or there yeah. are those contract clauses, because then at that point you're reacting and responding to this. Because to your point, I, I think a lot of the workforce doesn't understand how much data, even let's not even talk VR, no. how much data they're generating that is being captured and stored and managed yeah. somewhere that's actually telling a very detailed story of who you are. Now you throw VR into that mix. Yeah. That's a really powerful story yeah. about you. How did you, where did you look? How much time did you spend doing this? How did you move? How did you respond? That is some very personal things that I think that's why it's important when we start treading into this space yeah. to be very intentional about that and how we're approaching it. For sure. but, I, but I think from a learning standpoint, again, what can be used for, that can be scary, can also be used in, in very great ways. And I think one of the comments somebody made earlier is, when you think about this for adaptive learning, we've talked about adaptive learning in terms of adaptive content, I would say. We, we've changed the pathways in which people can experience content. I think VR is opening the door to say, we can actually change the pathways for which people experience 
experiences. And we can say, based on your performance, we can actually mold and shape your experience to get there. So I'm curious, yeah. you know, with that, as you look, let's let's say James Watson, James Watson, make a prediction, three to five years. Where do you think some of the biggest trends or advancements, where are we going to see this really moving um, as you kind of watch the space? And I'm sure everybody's going to have some insights and intake based on all the based on all the comments, but I'm curious, what's your take in the next three to five years? And that's pretty far out. I get it. But where would you see some of the big things going? I mean, there's, there's a few uh, fundamental factors that will really affect the overall uptake of the technology, right? So, you know, the obvious one is the hardware, you know, the, the hardware, like we said, 300 bucks now for, a, for an Oculus Quest, which I think is pretty good value. That's going to keep coming down. So the cost of that coming down is not only going to open up to more consumers, it's going to open up to more businesses. Because despite the wonderfully big figure I gave for the, the US Air Force of 100,000 saving per trainee, you know, it's not going to be like that for every organization. So right. the hardware is not only going to become cheaper, it's going to become better. Um, you know, it's going to become lighter. All, all these things. We'll go back to the Apple, the Apple thing. I'm sure, like you said, there'll be people commenting about that. But that that will wait, change. Somebody already. We've already started the rumor mill. Somebody already said, "Wait, Apple's coming out with a VR device." <laughs> well, is it VR? Is it mixed reality? We, we don't know. We don't know. And you know, the rumor mill is going hard at that. And I'll leave that to to, to run itself. But <laughs> let's not know, fuel that one. Yeah, let's not. We don't, I don't think it needs fueling. It's 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 crazy. In fact, there was one. One um, graphic artist um, has jumped on the bandwagon. And when the first rumor started coming out a few weeks back, they basically mocked up what they thought it would look like. So it's like a cool little thing. And it's ridiculous. It's really thin and it's never going to look like that. And they sell the rights to the image for like 90 bucks. Oh so my this word. they have made up, they've just stuck an Apple logo on it. And now they're selling it for 90 bucks a pop, which I think, I mean, that's kind of genius, right? I mean, you're <laughs> making money out of nothing. Um, so from a marketing perspective, well done you. Um, I wouldn't suggest buying it. Um, so so the, the hardware is going to make a big difference. Um, you know, also 5G, which people talk about a lot, a bit, a bit like AI, I think. You know, people are like, yeah, 5G. What does it mean? You know, they're like, well, better. I mean, 5G, big data, AI. This is one of those things. It's better than 4G because it's a 5. <laughs> you know? Five's better, isn't it? So you've just increased it by what is by it? One. But yeah, by one. 25%, whatever. Um, but that will have an impact on, on, on VR as well because it's going to reduce latency. So, you know, 10 times less um, latency. And also you can increase the amount of content you can stream into a headset. So back to your sort of, you know, the, the point about um, adapting environments, well, you're going to be able to do a lot of stuff on the fly. So maybe like in a training environment, someone makes a decision and based on that, there's a completely different scenario comes into play. That would be a bit of a challenge at the moment. With 5G, it's going to make it easier. So that's a big one. Um, and I think where the market is really fundamentally changing is, you know, look at the situation we're all in currently. You know, it's different levels of lockdown. Um, it's an obvious one, but remote, remote working. I mean, my view is that this has been a mass enforced experiment. Um, and, you know, for some companies, it's been painful. For other companies, it's been quite enlightening. But wherever we get to, you know, as we move, you know, vaccinations rolling out, you know, that's all very positive. And we'll, we'll get beyond this. But what you will have is the expectations of employees will have fundamentally changed. Yeah. You know, there, there, there is no, there's an expectation from pretty much every employee that they're not expected to go back full time into the office. Although, although I did see something from... Um, uh, the head of Goldman Sachs, uh, was he president or whatever, whatever it is of Goldman Sachs, maybe it's a prime minister of Goldman Sachs, who knows, but, you know, and he basically said he, he considers this whole remote working thing an aberration. Oh. Uh, and basically it's like, as soon as this is over, I expect everyone back in the office, which just made me laugh. I mean, that's Goldman Sachs view, but I mean, it doesn't represent the market. What are your workforce numbers at when that all happens? It's like, you know, it's like aberration is what we call But the expectations will be different. So, you know, employees will expect to be able to do a lot more things remotely. Yeah. And, and I think where you'll get to with, with some companies in for certain roles, they'll get their laptop and, and they'll get something like I this. Agree. You know, something like this that they're 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 
that sort of incremental learning, right? So it's okay, I'm going to do half an hour in my, you know, whatever a scenario, bang, you know, so, so that's going to drive the market as well. And that's going to be a fundamental change. Um, and I think, you know, across all those things, you know, it's just expectations of what the employees are looking for. But, um, and, and different areas are going to have, you know, quicker or slower uptakes than others. I think anything that has that sort of, um, you know, risk element to it. If you can take risk out of your business, if you can make your employees safer, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, you know, any kind of um, severe injury at work costs millions and millions of pounds. So if you can reduce it, yeah, exactly. Well, and I think you know, and and to your point about the enterprise market, I think as the enterprise market picks up, that's only going to further drive the consumer market because that again is going to be well. If, if when you started a new company, you get your company cell phone, your company headset, and your laptop as just part of the standard package, well, that's going to start to create this environment where then people are using this on consumer grade because they have more exposure. And personally, this is one of the things that I think is a limiting factor is I don't know that a lot of people have actually experienced it. And so I think there's a lot of, you know, ideas and oh, this is what it's like. And, and it's like, have you actually done this before? And I'm surprised how many people have a very strong opinion on what VR will work for and won't work for. And then you ask, yeah. so have you done it? Yeah. Well, no, but <laughs> I saw a video. I read an article. I I'm an expert in VR and you go, wait a minute. Like, yeah. you don't, you have not experienced what this is like. If you're still operating off what you think it was, 10 years ago, based on a sci-fi video you watched, you're, you're operating off a faulty premise. And I've got, I've got a flip, flip story to, to your story of enterprise driving consumer. So a really good story I heard uh, recently from a chap called Walter over at, at Greco is, um, you know, he'd been speaking to someone who asked for advice for, uh, speaking to someone for, about a business proposition, who'd asked for advice about what headset to get for their, their child. Right. And I think they ended up getting a quest because, you know, it's, it's, it's one in the market at the moment. And then a little further down the track, turns out this guy had tried it. He was the CEO of some company. He was just like, we really need to look at it because this is technology. You know, the, word, the hardest thing about marketing this is the best way to market it is for someone to try it. I know. You know, That's the hardest and, thing. And it's, it's a very hard thing to tell people about or, 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 you know, explain. And therefore, if you try it, I mean, that was going to be sort of one part of the advice is like for anyone in the L&D space who, who, who is, you know, needing to, to understand where things are moving forward, not just about VR, it's just try these things. Yeah. You know, you have to try it. Get hold of one of these. You know, there'll be any number of suppliers falling over themselves to get your business. They'll send you one, have a little play. You know, you will then see what potentially <laughs> As every um, L and D person watching this now is like, I'm going to send a request out to get my hand on one. <laughs> I'd like, if you'd like my business, I would like three of well, those. But, but the thing about it, and I think this is where, and Nick brought up a good point, and I think this is, it's a little bit a redirect from where he's getting at, but I think this is where we in learning and development have a tremendous opportunity to help influence this right now. Because first of all, one, very few people have actually had experience with it. So when you're going and trying to explaining it and you're trying to tell them what it is, they either have no experience with it or to Nick's point, they put one on and they went on a roller coaster and they felt nauseous and they went, oh, like this just, I, I can't imagine a world where we would use something like this. And I think that's where we're uniquely positioned to either do a lot of things to help accelerate this or a lot of things yeah. to send it down the wrong way, which is... Yeah. We have opportunity. We actually have loads of use cases, good use cases to say we can apply this. And if we do it right, it will open the doors for people to see the potential because they'll experience it and they'll experience a good example of it. Yeah. We can also destroy the efforts by, like we talked about earlier, just taking it from one box into another and going, hey, we want to run this experiment with VR where you can sit and watch our training videos with a headset on. Yeah. And people will go, yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah. kind of cool. I, I don't really see there being value. And suddenly now you've, you've just sabotaged the potential. Yeah. I do think sometimes though, I, I don't think the industry, you know, the, the, the VR or immersive tech sector has, has always done itself a great favor because I think sometimes the people who really believe in it as the future, they kind of, 
they can kind of get people's backs up a bit by making out that it's the answer to all your training. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like you you forget forget what you did. This is the future, and that I I could understand why it would would annoy people. I agree. Because the thing is, it's really good at doing some things, but it's not good at doing other things. And a lot of the stuff that's already happening still has great value and will continue to. And so I think it's important to say, you know, VR is another tool to put in the training box. And it's a really good tool, by the way. But it's just another tool amongst many. It's not kind of, you know, this doesn't change everything. It changed some of the panacea. It's it's not not it. it changes some things, it improves some things, it makes other things redundant, and it doesn't touch other areas. So I think there is a kind of responsibility on, on um, sort of people within the industry to go, it doesn't do everything, you know, but it's bloody good at some things. Yes. You know? and, and I think we have to do that more. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a that's a call out before to to both sides, because I think some of that hype and buzz has been created by the industry that yeah. VR is the future and, and everybody's going to be sitting around in a headset, in a chair. We're not going to have furniture or decorations in our house because we're just going to sit and, and that's going to be our world. And it's, it's yeah. not, that's not going to be our world. And on the flip side, I think some of that has carried over into some of the excitement in learning and development where we have opportunity to have more of a problem outcome focused mindset of saying, Hey, before we start touting to everybody, we're going to do VR. Yeah. Let's think about what are some of the biggest challenges that we're struggling with? Yeah. Where can we not scale? Where are we lacking experience? Where are there safety concerns, effectiveness concerns with some of the things we're doing? Okay. Now let's identify those. Let's back in and pressure test. Could VR actually be a solution to those problems? And if so, let's run some experiments and see if we can get the data to prove it. Because yeah. if we can do that, I can say from firsthand experience, if you go in with the data to show what you can do with this, nobody sends you back and goes, no, thanks. We'd actually yeah. rather do the more cost ineffective and more expensive. And you know, we, we just want to keep doing it the crummy way, despite all this data. Well, I won't say it never happens, but I would say it's very rare yeah, yeah. that that conversation goes that way. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a no brainer really. Just do a proof of concept, get some data out of it, and then see if it fits what you need to achieve for the business. Yeah, uh, and if it doesn't, fine, move on. But if it does, you know, plan for success, and you know, look at look at how you roll it out. It's just simple, simple, really. Yeah, and I think the other point with that, because this kind of we're going to run out of time. I, I'm I, there's about five hundred other areas I want to go with this, so maybe we'll have to do a follow up session. But um, you know, I think to your point with that. That's that one of my last questions is what are one of the things that learning and HR leaders should think about with this? And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from this is figure out what those problems, those challenges that you're trying to solve are first, then back into the tech and experiment with it. Don't don't go into it being like we're going, you know, I, I think of the digital transformation episode I had, I think last week, where it's like we have five million dollars and one chance to do it right. Like, don't. Don't approach it with that sense. Approach it from a experimental thing to see if you can get the data and then move it forward. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, you need to look at it from a perspective of, you know, plan, you know, do do a proof of concept, then plan for success, you know. Don't, don't sort of be surprised when something works, then worry about how you're going to roll it out and how you're going to deploy it. You know, you've got to think, okay, if this works, what does this mean for our business? You know, how does it integrate with existing uh, systems you don't want duplication you want integration it's really straightforward yeah. um, and all those sorts of things and you know you should approach you should approach any business challenge you know in the same way what do we need to solve yeah, this isn't just for okay. vr <laughs> yeah not for vr where do we need to get to so we need to get our employees who are more skilled in this area okay what's the best way to do it and okay. invariably it'll probably be a combination of a different number of things right yeah you know one of those might be vr Yep. Um, but, you know, don't approach it like some, you know, technology that's landed from outer space. <laughs> you know, it is it is a tool that may suit what you need to achieve as a business, but don't get ahead and choose the tool before you've worked out what you need to do for the business. Yeah. 
Yep. And I think, you know, kind of the final kind of wrapping note on that is just, you know, alongside of that, Nathan mentioned it earlier, don't let don't let a bad experience poison the well. And, and I've seen that where somebody doesn't experiment, it didn't go quite how they thought, and they just write off VR as a whole versus yeah. saying it didn't work here. So maybe it'll work over here and continue with that experimentation mindset. And honestly, the advancements I've seen in this space in the last five years Things that you're like, well, VR won't work because of this. Yeah. And you're like, that's changed. I yeah. mean, you think even hand tracking and and some of these biometric data pieces, it's like you can do things now that you couldn't a few years ago. So I think in the LD community, if you haven't tried it, you know, at some you point, try it. you're probably not doing as good a job as you could, if I'm really Yeah. All right. Well, we will <laughs> we'd end up talking the rest of the day if we if we just kept going. So I'm gonna wrap it up. Thank you to everyone who joined us. This was a great discussion. Hopefully this shaped your thinking a little bit differently, gave you some exposure to some things. And, and it's so thanks for all the comments, all the interaction. This was a blast. Um, but I wish you all a fantastic weekend. I hope you have a good one, James. I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, we, will, we will stay in touch. So have a good one. Thanks a lot.